You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, so I want to talk about, I just titled this Redeemed. I want to talk about what our redemption means, what the scripture means when it talks about us being redeemed. And I want you to go with me over to Galatians chapter 3 in verse 13. For many of you, this will be a very familiar verse. I just have to stop here for a second. Did I forget something? Just feel like I did. Yeah. It's still a little odd. The whole thing is a little odd. No, we did the offering. <laughs> we did worship, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. We're getting great things. Okay. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Look at these verses. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. All right, there's a tremendous amount in those two verses, and we're just going to pick those apart a little bit. But let me, let me say at the, at the outset here, it says that he redeemed us so that the blessing given to Abraham could come upon the Gentiles. So we need to understand that first. We need to understand that in the New Testament, Abraham is called the father of our faith. All right, because he was the first person who was declared righteous. Righteous means in right relationship with God. He was declared righteous because of his faith, not because of his works. This is Old Testament. This is 400 years before the law and the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses would arrive on the scene. This man simply had faith in God and God declared him because of that to be righteous and in right standing with God. And that's how we live today. So Abraham is called the father of our faith. Uh, you find back in, I just want to read some of this to you, back in Genesis chapter 12, you can turn there if you'd like, or uh, just listen, Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. This is where the Lord spoke this blessing over Abraham. God said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great or well-known, right? And you will be a blessing. So the bottom line of the old covenant and in turn the new covenant is I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Every blessing that we receive from God is there to be given, to be shared. It doesn't mean you don't get blessed by it. You do get blessed by it, but it's an overflowing blessing. So all of the blessing, all of the favor that comes upon us is so that we can be a blessing to others, to other believers, to non-believers, to the world, to our city. God equips us with his blessing to be a blessing to others. This was always his intention. Uh, it was always the, again, the, it's like the bottom line of a contract. A covenant is a contract. And in this contract, God took all the responsibility on himself. God took, there was nothing that we could do on our end of the contract. And in the, in the new covenant, the new contract that we have with God, Jesus paid the price. Jesus is the covenant. Jesus has done everything. What we do is enter into it by faith. 
So he says, you'll be a blessing. I will, he, said, he goes on, he says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Shorthand, that means God is on your side. All right, that doesn't mean God loves everything we do, but God has chosen to be on our side. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This was to Abraham. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Galatians, might want to write this down. Galatians chapter 3, where we just were, verse 16. It tells us that God's blessing was made to Abraham and to his seed. All right, to his child, to his seed, to his, what's the word, progeny. But it's a singular term, to his seed, not to his seeds. God said, I will make a great nation of you. Abraham would have lots of children and Abraham's children would have lots of children. That was part of the blessing on his life. But God said, the whole earth is going to be blessed. This, this, uh, the whole earth will be blessed through you. And that promise was made to Abraham and to his seed singular. And the Apostle Paul makes a big deal out of that because that word seed there means Christ. The whole world would be blessed, or we can put it this way, well, that's the whole world being blessed, that all of us, everybody, has the opportunity to be made right with God because of Jesus Christ. All right? All of that started with Abraham. And the verse that we read starting out says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And he did that so that the Gentiles could enter into, those of us who are not Jews by birth, could enter into that blessing. And that that would, uh, the blessing given to Abraham could come upon us. So I hope you're following me here. When we come to Christ, we come to Abraham's seed. We come into the blessing that God spoke to Abraham. We come into really the new covenant is still the Abrahamic covenant. There was the Abrahamic covenant. We get down to about Deuteronomy in our Bibles and it gets expounded upon as um, God speaks to Moses and the law comes in and all of that. And you come down through the law and through the prophets and through all of that. And we're going to talk about why all that is in just a minute. But we come down to the point where Jesus Christ comes and dies on that cross as our substitute and, and allows every person who will receive him by faith, who will put their trust in what he did on the cross instead of their own works, who will receive him as Lord and Savior, every one of us come into that original covenant that was made originally with Abraham. It's a, it is a new covenant. It has better promises. It's a better covenant because it's in Christ. It doesn't depend on what we do. But the point is when these verses talk about the blessing given to Abraham would come upon the Gentiles, this is what it's talking about, that we all through Christ can come into that blessing. So Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We get all this by inheritance. And you know, we get an inheritance when somebody dies and leaves us what belonged to them. Jesus died and has given us what belonged to him and belongs to him exclusively. 
All right? So the result of all that is that all the promises of Scripture and all the blessing that is contained in our salvation, which covers every area of life, all of that belongs to Christ and our, that our salvation and every promise God ever made is secured in Jesus Christ. The reason that's so important is because that salvation didn't depend on our works, on our behavior, on us doing everything right. It never depended on that. The blessing of God given to us, it never depended on our works. It depended on our faith to enter into a free gift. Okay? If I didn't earn that salvation and if I didn't uh, earn that blessing through my actions and my attitudes, then I also can't destroy that salvation through my actions and my attitudes. It is, this is why when we talk about eternal security, we have eternal security because we are entering in. Really, when we put our faith in Jesus, we now enter into a covenant that exists between father and son. It exists between father and son. The covenant isn't with us. We enter into Christ and we enter into his life, his blessing. It belongs to him. It's secured by what he did at the cross. We just get to enter into it. We inherit it. We become, we become one with Jesus Christ when we give our life to him. So we can't mess this thing up. Even on our worst day, we don't mess this thing up. Now, there's no question that through our behavior, we can uh, live in patterns where we walk in more or less of what Christ has provided. No doubt about it. I mean, sin still does have a cost. But we can't erase or undo what Jesus did. That, that's why there is forgiveness. Even when we blow it and we sin, we can come back and repent and receive forgiveness and come right back in to that covenant. That covenant exists today between God the Father and God the Son. All right, does that make sense? Um, so so the, the scripture that we read, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So curse of the law, all right, what's that? All right, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, all right, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the children of Israel, Moses is preparing them to go into the promised land. They've been in the wilderness. And there are a couple of chapters there, 28, 29, where, where they stood and they heard, they all got together and they heard the blessing of the law, what's called the blessing of the law. Walk with God, love him with all of your heart, obey, remember this is Old Testament, obey the Lord your God fully and completely, and all this blessing will come upon you. All right, the first about 14 verses of that chapter, really I think it's like verse 3 through 14, describe the blessings of walking with God. All right, and in, under the old covenant, that had to be done perfectly. That was part of the plan. We'll talk about that in a minute. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, those first 14 verses, 
give you the blessing. And it's a beautiful thing. You need to read it really often and know what God's blessing on your life looks like. You have to interpret it. It's an agricultural society. You have to interpret it a little bit into modern uh, language or where we live, but you get the ideas. All the big ideas are there. From, from verse 15 through verse, I believe it's 68, uh, at the end of the chapter, all of those verses give us what's called the curse of the law. This is what life looks like on a fallen planet when we don't walk with God. It's ugly. It's really awful. Should probably read that once in a while too. <laughs> but I mean, it covers every area of life. It's absolute failure, absolute destruction, absolute inability to make anything work. Um, sickness, disease, uh, hatred, every everything that grew out of man's choice to separate himself from God, to go his own way, to be essentially his own God, which happened in the garden. Everything, that, none, of, none of what's in those verses was ever God's intention for us to experience. But here we are, we live in this world. And I mean, it's ugly. There, you know, there are boils, there are enemies, there are, it's awful. There's slavery, captivity, it's awful. So I would say this, if you read, if you read the, that curse of the law so that you understand it, be sure to go and read chapter 30 because chapter 30 shows us God's heart in the whole thing. And he, he begs them in chapter 30. He says, okay, I, he says, I'm calling heaven and earth to witness this today. I've laid out before you life and blessing, death and cursing, all right, and let me just say this right here because it has to come out sometime in this teaching. When the Bible talks about death in these types of passages or when it's talking about sin and death, the word death there means separation. So physical death is a separation of the spirit and the soul from the physical body. Spiritual death is man's separation spiritually from God that happened because of sin. All right, everybody's born into a condition of spiritual death. We come out of that when we make Jesus the Lord of our life. But God says there in Deuteronomy chapter 30, I have laid out before you life and blessing, death and um, cursing. Choose life. He begs them, choose life. So they have a choice. And he says earlier on that chapter, what I'm laying out for you today, it's not too hard for you. It's not too far away. Somebody else doesn't have to go get it. The word, he says, my word is right there in your heart and in your mouth. Okay, so even this was under the Old Testament. They didn't, weren't born again. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them. And God still said, my word is there. My word has the power to keep you in this place of life and blessing. Choose it. He says, you've got a choice. Choose it. You have to choose it. We still have to choose it. Okay, so, so this is what, you know, the curse of the law describes. It refers to the whole of the destructive result of sin and separation from God. All right, again, the last part of Deuteronomy 28 describes how sin brings ruin to every possible aspect of human existence. All right, and I'm not just talking about our personal sin, okay? Don't, don't go there. I'm talking about the sin condition. There is what we call the sin condition that is in the earth, the fallen nature of the earth and the universe, honestly, Romans tells us. Um, the curse describes God's verdict regarding sin and all the destruction and ruin that sin produces. New Testament says the wages of sin is, is still death. 
All right? So, so this is what we're talking about. We are redeemed from the curse of the law. We are redeemed from the curse of the law so that the blessing given to Abraham can come upon us. So let me give you this real quickly because people always uh, ask these questions. So why did all this have to happen? Okay, and we, we can't go into everything about that. But what was the purpose of the law? When we talk about the law, we're talking about, we are talking about the Ten Commandments, but we are also talking about the other uh, laws that were established and commandments of God that were established through Moses and, and under that old covenant system that Israel lived under, okay? And there were, there were some parts of that that uh, the word of God itself and the spirit of the word, like what we find in the Ten Commandments, God's not a murderer, so don't murder. God's not a, uh, he's not an adulterer, so don't commit adultery. You know, all of that. He's not a thief, so don't steal from people. Um, all of those things about the nature of God and the behavior that comes out of the nature of God, all, none of those change. Jesus said that the law is not going to pass away. The spirit of the law is not going to pass away. It's the same. But there was a system of worship that ended at the cross because Jesus came and became the sacrifice. There was no longer a need for that. There were other things that ended at the cross. There were other things that came through the cross, but were just changed. The meaning of the Sabbath changed to a degree. I and mean, Jesus is our Sabbath. We don't celebrate it in the same way we used to. There are other, other things about that. But the law had a definite purpose. That time period had a definite purpose. And there were three things that the, the law served to do. And the first one was to reveal the nature of God and holiness. What does holiness look like? Well, it looks like the Ten Commandments, okay? And the, every one of those commandments, and, and let me just say this, because I had this question the other day from somebody. I just said that the law refers, in, in this context, refers to the whole of God's word and commandments under the Old Covenant, all right? They received that from God, but then as a people, they did the same thing we do. Have you noticed that we are on our sixth, sixth version of the health order that was given whenever that was, March 11th or 14th or whenever it was? We're on our sixth version. Each time they come out with another version, it's more detailed to explain what the law means and what the law doesn't mean. What are we saying? What are we not saying? Okay. The re we do that with all laws. We started out with the Constitution and a few laws. I have no idea. I've never looked it up. Uh, how many laws we now have from the federal government, from state governments, local governments. How many laws do we live under? Okay. There's a spirit of the law behind most of these things. There's a spirit of the rules about uh, separation and the different things that are in those health orders. There's a reason that they did what they did, but they have to keep delineating further and further and further. Well, the law came, it was the actual words of God. Then over time, um, the Jews and particularly those, the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they kept um, making it, they kept, enumerating. Um, they kept going into those laws and saying, okay, what, what does Sabbath mean? And I studied this one time, and honestly, it was years ago, and I don't remember the exact number, but it seems to me like it was 600 and some, the, the law, honor the Lord on the Sabbath, okay, is what God said. 
there were over 600 rules derived from that about Sabbath by the time Jesus walked the earth. That's why they got mad at him when he healed somebody on the Sabbath. They got mad at him when his disciples were walking through a field and picked a few heads of grain and ate them. They got, you know, and honestly, I think he did some of those things on the Sabbath to make this point. But he would often say to them, they'd be in a discussion and we read it now in English and it says something like, you have said in your law, all right? Well, most of us think that means it's in the Old Testament somewhere and it's in God said it. And then Jesus would disagree with it. And it's like, why is just Jesus disagreeing with what was written in the Old Testament? That isn't what he's disagreeing with. He's not disagreeing with what God said. He's disagreeing with a lot of the interpretation and extrapolation that took place about what God said. They made all these laws and that's where he said, you have, you know, you, you've put a burden on people that you aren't lifting, you're trying to lift with a little finger. You aren't touching it and you've put all this burden on people. That was not God's law. So you kind of have to discern that when you're reading through the New Testament. But the law, what God said, was given to reveal the nature of God and holiness. It was given to, the Bible tells us this in Galatians 3.23, it was given essentially to keep us, keep humanity in protective custody and to preserve us spiritually until Messiah could come. So it was a way of keeping us safe. We followed the law, keep us safe, keep us out of a lot of trouble until Messiah could come and we could start to live all that from the inside by the Holy Spirit. The law, it says, was given, uh, Paul tells us this, to act as a schoolmaster. All right, so that originally that term schoolmaster meant the person who walks a kid to school and keeps them safe and makes sure they get there. Not that any of us left to our own would have, you know, not gotten there, but just saying. Uh, it's that person that takes that kid along and keeps them safe and makes sure they get to school. All right, so it had that. And then as that word was used over time, it began to mean, mean one who educates a child. So the idea was the law educated humanity as to the nature of God and how God lives and how God acts and what, what life and blessing looks like and what death and destruction looks like, okay? The law served all of those purposes. It was, it was good. And so the law brought us to this point, uh, brought us to Christ, all right? So the Old Testament... What was the purpose of that whole period of time? What was the purpose of the whole Old Testament? Okay, it did at least these three things. It showed, and this answers a lot of your questions or some of your friends' questions, if you just listen to it. It showed the severity of sin without the availability of grace. All right, we see in the Old Testament, sin, judgment, sin, judgment. That's what sin looks, sin brings death. Sin, Ground opens up and swallows you up. Sin boils, you know. Uh, sin produces death. Sin is severe. Sin is serious. And it still produces really bad things in people's lives if they give themselves to it. But so through the whole Old Testament, that's what we see. We see sin is severe when there's no grace. There's no grace to enter into and receive forgiveness. The Old Testament does that. It shows us man's total inability to make himself right with God. Complete inability to, through our own struggle, our own goodness, our own works, our own trying as hard as we can, 
to make ourselves right with God. It becomes futile. You, and, and so finally that leads to man's desperate need of a savior. Number three, the old covenant showed us that we need a savior. We can't do this on our own. We need Messiah. And so by the time Jesus came, Israel was looking for Messiah. They had some wrong ideas about what Messiah was going to do. The, the whole church age that we're living in was a mystery in the old covenant. It was hidden. And so they thought they were going to go right from Jesus being on the earth to Jesus ruling in Jerusalem the way David did. All right. And there were some different ideas about the whole church age was just hidden. They, they didn't even see it. All right. So it is, it's just important for us to realize that both the law and the old covenant, they both, they, they served a purpose, but it showed us how much we needed the redemption that we're talking about this morning. So let me give you another little list. Sin entered into the earth. Okay, the Bible tells us in Romans 5.12 that sin entered into the earth by one man, by Adam's choice to believe what the devil said and act on it rather than believe what God had told him. Okay, Romans 5.12. Death entered in, or sin entered into the earth by one man and death through sin. So death, and again, remember, that means separation. Separation from God all right, that was never God's intention. That entered through sin. Death, as far as us dying and not being eternal beings, was never God's intention. And every kind of evil and destruction and decay that we can possibly think of arose in the earth because of sin and death entering the earth. So let me just give you a little list. Here are some things that sin entering into the earth produced. It's just a happy message so far. It's going it's to get better in just a minute. The sin, just remember, you're redeemed from all of this. This is our point. You're redeemed. All right. The sin nature in unredeemed mankind. All right. We, when sin entered into the earth, we all entered into this sin condition. We we're all born the sin condition. So that sin nature in unredeemed mankind creates a tendency towards self-absorbed, self-directed, self worshiping, living, all right? That creates a tremendous amount of evil and a tremendous, all kinds of problems in the earth, all right? Hatred, pride, addiction, you know, murder, sexual sin. It all comes out of this sin nature in people, all right? The sin nature will live in direct contradiction to God's nature. Number of scriptures tell us that. The carnal mind, the the, the flesh-ruled mind, it says, is enmity. It is the enemy of God and constantly contradicts God, all right? Uh, secondly, death. We just said that. Death, first spiritual, then physical, entered the earth through sin. Sin brought that in, all right? So all the different things that lead to that, you know, sickness and disease is a result of sin entering the earth, um, brokenness, spirit, soul, and body, all the different things that, you know, shortened physical life, actually dissatisfaction, a life that never satisfies. You're living, you're working, but it never satisfies. That's a result of sin entering the earth. That was never God's intention, all right? John 10.10 10 tells, Jesus says, Thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and life more abundantly. That was always God's desire. That was God's will. It still is. That was God's will, God's heart, God's desire. Let me read you this one. I love this verse. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is from the Amplified Bible. It says, My son, forget not my law or teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for, because length of days, get this, length of days and years of a life worth living. That's so good. His word brings length of days, years of a life worth living, and tranquility inward and outward and continuing through old age until death, these shall they add to you. All right, the word and our relationship with God brings that kind of life. So, so the opposite of that is, you know, this is what God's will is for us, length of days, years of life worth living, peace in our hearts that continues through life. The opposite of that comes from the sin condition in the earth. All right. Sin condition in the earth also brought next one, uni a universal condition of decay. I don't have much time to talk about this, but in Romans chapter eight, it talks about how the entire creation was brought under, uh, it uses two terms. It says the entire creation was subjected to a condition of futility, which means an inability to produce what God desired. All right. And decay, which means decay, things rotting, things falling apart. None of that was supposed to exist. That, was, that all came into the earth through this sin condition. The law, the old covenant brought us to this point where we knew to, to receive what God, to have this right relationship with God, be able to be who he created us to be, produce what he created us to produce. We need a savior. We need, a, we need the Messiah. All right, so let's go back to Galatians chapter three. We'll pick this apart just a little bit. Galatians chapter three, again, verses 13 and 14. Let's just read it again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. We see this in a couple of places. Christ became our sin. He became the curse. He didn't just take a penalty, take a punishment, take one for the team, and then that was it. He literally, some translations say he absorbed the curse into himself. He absorbed everything that we deserved. This is the statement that you need to remember. Christ went to that cross, went to the grave, was actually separated in that time from the Father. He experienced everything that we deserved as our substitute. He became a substitute for us. So whatever it was that we deserved because of sin, and I make this point because this ruffles some religious feathers uh, on some people, but it's very clear in the scripture. In fact, one of our friends uh, posted something on Facebook the other day about what happened on Saturday between Friday and Sunday, and actually just go Google the three days, three nights thing. It actually started before that. It makes perfect sense with the Jewish Sabbaths. But anyway, forget that. We look at it, Western world looks at it as Friday, Good Friday, right? Saturday, I don't know what we do. We all go shopping or something. And Sunday is resurrection. Well, what happened between the cross and the grave? That's a really good teaching all by itself. We should do that sometime. It says that he stripped, he took captivity captive. He preached to the people that were in prison, the people that were being held and waited and died under the old covenant, were waiting for Messiah in faith, 
he, there was an opportunity for them to receive him as Messiah. And it says, when he rose, he led captivity captive. Remember, they saw a bunch of people. Remember this from the Gospels? Oh, the roof's dripping on Karen. See, it's the anointing right there. Don't move out from under that. That's probably holy water. Uh, remember that? It says that in the Gospels that, that a bunch of Old Testament saints... <laughs> And now she's got Siri going. Siri loves to come. Anyway, I won't tell you what I say to her. This is a good point. Um, there were Old Testament saints walking around between the, you know, as Jesus was coming to the resurrection from the dead. There were people walking around. Well, they were being led with him. Anyway, way too much to go into. I could give you a bunch of scripture on that. Where was I? He redeemed us from the curse of the law by, oh, becoming a curse for us. He actually became what we deserved. He took the full wrath of God for every sin ever been committed was laid on him so that now we can receive. We can, anybody can put faith in Jesus Christ and receive this redemption, receive what Jesus deserved. I remember where I was five minutes ago. Sorry, I got a little excited there. He died as our substitute. What does that mean? That means whatever he took, you don't have to. And you shouldn't put up with in your life. Well, I'll give you some verses on that in just a second. So what does this mean to be redeemed from the curse of the law? That word means to buy out completely. To buy out completely. We've been bought. We've been paid for. We've been bought out. That was used of a person paying the price for a slave in order to set them free. We were in slavery to sin and death. He purchased us so that we could, so that he could set us free and we could then make the choice. There again, we're back to choose life. We get to make the choice. I receive Jesus or I reject Jesus. And I hope you don't do that. All right, but he paid the price for every person. Believers do not have to live under the curse of the law. And that's why if you read those verses of the curse of the law in Deuteronomy 28, just go right down the line and say, I don't have to have this. The devil has no right to bring this into my life. Jesus paid the price. I am redeemed. I am, I am completely bought out from under this. We, sh- we are redeemed from it. We should resist it in the name of Jesus. Do not accept things. We all experience stuff that isn't God's will for our life because we're on this fallen planet. We all do. But we should do it with a fight. We should fight for what Jesus died to give us. All right? We should, we should fight for that in prayer. We should resist the devil and make him flee from us. We should help other people grab hold of the salvation that Jesus gave for us. This thing is not just about, oh good, I received Jesus and now I'm going to sit here and get beaten up until I die or he comes again. And then it's going to be good in heaven. Our assignment is to pray and believe and bring the will of God the same as it is in heaven to this earth. That was the assignment that he gave us. All right, so fight for it, fight for it. All right, so he overcame every form of sin through appropriating, uh, or I'm sorry, believers, we believers can overcome every form of sin through appropriating the power of the blood of Jesus Christ using the authority in the name of Jesus. Um, 
These are some of my favorite verses. I'm just going to read them to you. Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 14. The Lord used these verses to set me free from so many things uh, in my life. So it says, Romans chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Now if we died with Christ, see, we were united. He became our substitute. He went to the cross, but we were in him. All right, the Father saw us in him. If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. That's all really cool. That's Jesus. Wonderful. Read the rest of it. It says, in the same way, count yourselves. This is an accounting term. Count. It means add it up and come to this conclusion. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let. Did you get that? Do not let. This means we have something to do with this. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. He wouldn't tell us that if we couldn't do it. If we didn't have the power by grace and in his names, not in ourselves, grace empowers us to overcome sin and to take hold of everything that Jesus died to give us. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. All right, so that's a choice we make sometimes. We say, okay, I'm going to use these eyes for sin. I'm going to use these ears for sin. I'm going to use this mouth. That's a big one, big mouth. We use this tongue for wickedness. Don't offer, don't make that offering. Don't make that offering. Don't offer the parts of your body as instruments of wickedness, but rather instead offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness for sin will not be your master because you are not under law, you are under grace. Grace empowers us to do and to be what we could never do or be on our own. That's why Jesus increased it with the, the law said, do not murder. Jesus said, don't even stay angry with anybody. Why could he do that? Because we have the power of grace. We can live a holier life than we could do just in our own uh, abilities. All right. So Jesus became sin for us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus became sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He became our substitute. He went to the cross, went to the grave, and rose as our substitute, all right? His, his work on the cross was substitutionary in nature, all right? So again, I just got to stress this. If he did it, if he took it, became it, we don't have to because our substitute already did it. What kind of sense? I probably shouldn't, Boyd's probably watch. I probably shouldn't make baseball analogies because I'm clueless. But they have pitch hitters, pinch hitters, whatever they are, those other hitters that go up and, and hit for somebody, right? Well, you don't have that person go out there and hit the ball. And then you go up and do it too because they did it for you. Okay, that's what a substitute does. If a substitute teacher comes into a room, the other teacher doesn't come and do the same thing. 
again that the substitute did. Unless it's a really bad substitute. And Jesus was not a bad substitute. All right. So he became, it says, he became our sin. He became the curse for us so that the blessing given to Abraham could come upon us. All right, let me just give you these real quick. We've got about six minutes here. Three primary areas where Jesus became our substitute. Need to remember these. There's, there's a lot of expansion that we could do upon these, but I'll just give you the basics. These are wherever we find substitutionary scriptures. And I'm going to give you a few here. It means Jesus did it. So we don't have to. He did it in my place. So now I receive what he received because I am in him. All right. So the first one is in the area of sin and death. We talked about sin and death and how all that works. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21. It says, God made him who had no sin. All right. Our substitute. He didn't have any sin to be sin for us. He actually became sin. And I know, I know, I know. For some people, this really ruffles the religious feathers. We can't imagine Jesus becoming sin. But he did. He did it for us. He took our sin. He became sin. Remember, they couldn't even recognize him. It wasn't just because he was whipped. Something supernatural and spiritual took place at that cross and in that grave. So God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He became what we deserved, and now we get to become what he deserves. That's not fair. I know. It's amazing. It's, it's beyond our imagination, but this is what our loving God did for us. All right? The second one is in the area of sickness and disease. Sickness is never God's will for people. This, these verses are three different places in the Bible. I'm going to read them out of Isaiah 53. These were prophesied over Jesus, or prophesied that Jesus would become our substitute in the area of sickness and disease. Then Matthew 8:17 brings out, Matthew shows Jesus healing, 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 healing. And, and repeats these verses. Here's Jesus living as our healer, all right? And then in First uh, Peter 2.24, is that right? Yeah, First Peter 2.24, they're repeated again in a past tense that he has healed us, all right? But here's what it says in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. This is the Amplified. Surely he has borne our griefs. That word griefs means sicknesses. It doesn't mean just feeling bad one day. Okay, it doesn't. Look it up. It means sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses, and carried our sorrows. And that word sorrows has the connotation of disease also, and pains of punishment. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God as if with leprosy. But he was, get this, substitution. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities, the chastisement need, needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Now, you know, some people, they do it. They'll say, oh, that just means spiritual healing, brother. That just means, well, poor Matthew didn't get it because in Matthew eight seventeen he's clearly talking about physical 
healing. I believe it does include healing spirit, soul, and body, but it does, but it certainly speaks to physical healing. It belongs to you. None of us, we don't, you know, we're on this earth. We're doing the best we can. We reach out, we pray, we lay hands on one another. We believe God. We come against sickness and disease. None of us get it 100%, but fight the fight. He took that for you so that you don't have to, all right? And the last one, and talk about upsetting people, is poverty. 2 Corinthians, get this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you are recognizing more clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. His astonishing kindness, his generosity, his gracious favor, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that substitution by his poverty, you might become rich, abundantly blessed. Now, before you write me off, all right, People have this thing in their head that money's the problem. It's not. We know and we teach all the time, so I'm going to take a bunch of time out. Wealth does not just mean money. It does not just mean material things. The wealth that God wants for us is an abundance in every area. No question about it. But it includes financial wealth also because why? God wants you blessed so you can bless other people, okay? These verses, people will say, oh, it just means Jesus went to the cross. He, became, he went into spiritual poverty. Well, poor Paul did not understand because he put these substitutionary verses in, these, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9 are all consistently, solidly about financial issues, about taking up an offering, about God's blessing uh, in material things in our lives, about how we should handle that, about seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And God wants you to have enough so that all your needs are met and you can give into every good work. That's all in those chapters. And this is right in the middle of them. So you cannot, I guess you can, I guess you can, but it would be unwise of you See how nice I'm getting? To dismiss this as not talking about material things. God wants you well and whole and abundant in that area too. He wants you to succeed in your business. He wants you, and people, well, there's people get greedy. Yeah, God doesn't want you to be greedy, so don't be greedy. You know, people use their money wrong. Yeah, don't do that. Read your Bible, live generously, bless other people. And, and, and God uses this whole area of finances as a tremendous character builder in our lives. I believe he wants every one of us to produce more than we need so that we can bless other people. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be Bill Gates. It doesn't. But I bet he wants you to have more than you think he wants you to have, probably, for most of us. And what he wants in that is for us to develop the character so that finances don't have us, we have them. We use them. We bless people with them. We are not a slave to money. We are not greedy. Our trust doesn't go to it. And that's a, that's a character building thing. Every one of us has to go through that as God builds that. But don't dismiss it. This is a substitutionary scripture, just as much as sin and death and just as much as wealth. Okay, there's, there's no question about it. I'll just give you these verses. We won't read them this morning because I'm out of time. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, talks about how God gives you the ability to produce wealth in the earth. Proverbs 13, 22, 
talks about uh, generational wealth, wealth being built generationally, okay? And then 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, verses 10, 11 talks about how God wants to supply seed for the sower, you know, that's to give, and bread for the eater, all right? So don't eliminate this part. I'll just tell you this story in closing. I, when I first went to Believer Center back in 1846 or whatever it was, um, yeah, I've told you many times, I went, Karen wanted to go to church. I went, sure, we didn't need to go to church. I don't want anything to do with church. God has a sense of humor. So, so I was watching those guys. I was watching Marshall. You know, what's he teaching? Oh, I'll check it out in my Bible because, you know, I know what's going on here. And, and so I'd check it out and I'd go home. And it would turn out that he was right time after time after time. And I'll never forget the Sunday he started talking about this subject, that God wanted you blessed also in material things. I had him. Everybody knows God wants Christians poor. Everybody knows we're supposed to be poverty stricken and wandering around destitute in the earth. Everybody, I've got him. We'll never have to go to church again. And, and of course, but I wrote down all the scriptures he gave me and I went home and I started to study out and I was like, man, I'm totally wrong again. And I think that really was a turning point for me. I was like, okay, I give up. You know, obviously this guy knows what he's talking about. So anyway, I just encourage you, those areas, and they're broad, they're broad. Every area of your life, Jesus became a substitute. So you don't have to have the curse of the law. You're redeemed from it. You're bought out from it. And you can have the blessing given to Abraham. Father, we just thank you for this this morning. We rejoice in this redemption that we have. We have been purchased. We belong to you. And your blessing, Lord, is ours in Jesus' name. We don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be greedy. We don't want to be <laughs> stupid in any way with this. But we refuse not to enjoy it, Lord. You are such a good God. You are such a good Father. And I pray, Father, for everybody out there hearing this or that will hear this as time goes on in their homes, in their place, in their life, no matter what the current circumstances, that they would know that you have the very best in mind for them, that you have purchased a great life for them, that you can lead every one of us into a greater, more abundant life and that we can bless others with it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for worshiping with us today. And uh, I don't know. We'll be around. We'll, we'll see you next week. All right. Oh, I'm supposed to say, just shut us off already. No, Jesus. We're going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. We always do this. We'll count to three. All right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.